0: Well, good morning. Glad you're here to worship this morning. We are delighted to welcome back Reverend Dr. Leanne Ketchum this morning. Dr. Ketchum is the Assistant Professor of Preaching and Practical Theology at Anderson University, where she works to equip and empower women and men in their calling to love God and to serve the church. And she has a She does that, but she's also pastored in various places. She's pastored in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, the east coast of New Jersey, and most recently she was a youth pastor in downtown Toronto in Canada. Uh, She lives in Noblesville uh, with her husband Andrew, uh, her daughter Chloe, and her uh, fluffy golden doodle. In her free time, she can usually be found reading, sewing her own clothes, or trying out a new hobby or DIY projects. So we are delighted to have you back with us, Leanne, so let's welcome her. see it's so good to be with you can you hear me all right let's pray together gracious God many of us have hustled to get to this point today and we are just grateful that we have gotten here our minds may be preoccupied with any number of things yet you have also set this space and time before us slow us down calm the hamster wheel of our minds Settle our bodies more fully into the present moment. God, would you ground us in the common grace of today? And is it too audacious to ask that you would speak to us today? God, that's our prayer. That we would hear your voice today, above my voice and above all the voices that crowd in on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy Easter, ACC. Uh, Did anyone do an Easter egg hunt last weekend? Maybe, maybe not. Well, every year my neighborhood does one. Uh, Last year my daughter was about 15 months old and I thought this is something that we should do. She can walk, she can pick things up. Let's try this out. Well, if it's been a minute since you've had small humans in your house, allow me to refresh your memory that start times are kind of more like a suggestion, a loose hope. Rather than something that you can actually adhere to so there we were We are uh, going down the sidewalk What I thought was a pretty pretty decent ten minutes late. Not too bad. We've had worse uh, So I you know we bundle up in the stroller We set off on this walk barely late and what I am expecting is this sort of quaint picturesque <laughs> Easter basket experience that is about to unfold well Turns out that 10 minutes late is much too late because when we get to the park, it's done. And it is just this pack of wild things out there. And they have gotten all the eggs and it's over. So we just turn around and we go home. (laughs) So I had some expectations. I'm sure you've had expectations of life before. You may have had expectations coming to church today where you were expecting to see this guy. I mean, look at him. He really knows some stuff. And instead, here you are, and you're stuck with this joker, and what are you doing? So we've all had those kinds of expectations. You may have tried to buy a house in the last couple of years, expecting that after you have saved this very reasonable and respectable amount of money for your down payment, you think and you hope you are going to end up with a kind of house like this. Only to realize that your budget, and uh, the best four walls that your budget can get you in this housing market looks a little bit more like this. <laughs> there aren't even real doors or real windows on that thing. But expectations, man, they'll get you. They, it's all fun and games, <laughs> until, until they're not. Most of the time we might laugh about these kinds of expectations, but underneath there's this sort of question. What happens when our expectations collide with reality? What happens to us when our expectations get challenged or crushed or even die? Now, the Bible is full of expectations. Anyone who encountered Jesus surely had them. And the Gospels give testimony of one of Jesus' followers, Simon, a.k.a. Peter, a.k.a. Simon Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He first was a fisherman, and then Jesus called him, and he became one of the most prominent disciples. Now, at one point during Jesus' ministry, uh, he's with his disciples doing ministry. Jesus has given hearing to a deaf man. He's performed the miracle of feeding thousands. He's given instructions to the religious leaders. And then Jesus heals a man who cannot see. So he goes on with his disciples, and they start having this sort of theological discussion amongst themselves. Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say that you're one of the prophets. But Jesus replies, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah." So here we get this sort of snapshot of the expectations that were being laid upon Jesus as he walks towards the cross. We certainly can't say that these expectations were shared in the exact same way across every Israelite uh, living in Jerusalem, but we can say that they were certainly accepted by several, many, possibly even most. Now the Messiah was this one who would come and free the people of Israel from the occupying forces of Rome. He would free them from bondage, from exile. The Messiah was prophesied about from the prophet Isaiah, and the Messiah, or the Christ in Greek, uh, was the anointed one, God's anointed king, who would topple the kingdom of Rome, restore the historic line of kings through the line of David. The Messiah was supposed to be this sort of Political and spiritual leader who would end their oppression, restore their national borders, unite faith, so on and so forth. So, the Israelite people are under the crushing weight of Roman occupation. And so, here's Jesus he's healing, he's teaching, he's performing miracles. He's the guy, they say. He's the one that we've been waiting for, he's the Messiah. So Mark 8 goes on right after this conversation, and Jesus starts to tell them, you know, Peter says, "You're the Messiah." So Jesus starts to tell them what kind of Messiah he is, what this Messiah would do, what this Messiah would be like. And so Jesus teaches them that the Son of Man, which is his self-reference to himself and his mission, uh, this Son of Man must undergo great suffering. He will be rejected by the religious leaders, He will be killed. And after three days, he'll rise again. Well, none of that squares with the expectations that the disciples have, and definitely not with Peter. So, Peter, being, you know, one of the prominent disciples, pulls Jesus aside. Come here. Come here, Jesus. And starts to tell Jesus exactly what a Messiah ought to be doing. And tells Jesus off. Which Jesus then responds and says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. For you're setting your mind not on things of God, but on human things. So it seems that all of these expectations are on a crash course. But ministry continues. Uh, The disciples and Peter seem to be able to set their expectations for Jesus aside, uh, aside from Jesus' expectations of himself, until this difference of expectations will explode due to reality. So Jesus, then, is with his disciples, On the way to the cross, they eat a meal together. And at one point, Jesus and Peter are talking to one another again. And Peter seems to be so overcome with emotion that he bursts out and says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison. I'll even die with you. Jesus is the guy for Peter. He's the one that they've been waiting for. Peter's committed to the cause. You're the Messiah. You're the one. You're going to throw off our enemies. You're going to set things right. It's you, Jesus. I'm ready to go with you. I'll be arrested. I'll even die with you. But Peter's expectations are on this sort of crash course. Because the time has come for all that Jesus has said to take place. So, let's walk through it, rather quickly, if you will. Great suffering was the first thing that Jesus said this Messiah would do. Well, shortly after this conversation with Peter, Jesus is betrayed by one of his other friends, Judas, who gives him over to the religious leaders. Jesus is arrested. Is Peter arrested with him? No, sir. While under arrest, Jesus is mocked. He's beaten. And while all that is happening, where is Peter? Well, he's outside. And while he's outside, three people, three different people ask him, Aren't you you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his? And three times, three different times, Peter denies it. I don't know him. I'm not a part of this. So Jesus, betrayed by a close friend, denied by another, I think we can call that great suffering. And then Jesus is brought before the religious leaders, and they demand answers. Is he truly saying that he's the Messiah? Well, these leaders, they say that he's breaking the religious law. He's claiming to be God. Let's turn him over to the Roman authorities. They can actually do something about this. So rejection by the religious leaders? Check. So then Jesus is brought before the Roman leaders, the occupying forces, and the religious leaders give an account of Jesus' wrongs in a way as to inflame the government. This man... He's misleading our nation. He's forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor. He's saying that he's a messiah, a king, and we all know there is only one king. Now, the Roman leaders, they try to distance themselves a little bit from what's going on, try to say that this is a religious dispute. Uh, The governor Pilate says that Jesus should just be beaten and released, but the crowd is relentless. Crucify him. Crucify him. And so they do crucifixion? Check. And he dies. And with his death, so goes Peter's hopes, Peter's faith, Peter's future. Have you ever had your expectations in life go up in smoke? Maybe in a minute, or maybe over time, but all these things that you hoped for, the things that you planned for, the things that you worked for and expected, they just sort of crumble. It's the performer or the athlete with a career-ending injury, or it's the broken relationship that you really thought was going somewhere this time, or it's too low of a score on an entrance exam closing off a vocation, or getting fired from a job that we really wanted to keep. Other times, our expectations are crushed by these things that happen around us or to us. It's the divorce. It's the bullying. It's the betrayal of the best friend or the death of a dream. For me, I would say it was this sort of experience of the things that happened around me that caused my expectations to crumble. I was around 13 when we first found drugs in our house growing up. And around that same time is when I started to ask these questions about who God is and what is this life of faith. And so while things at home were chaotic, that is a generous word, I was at church praying, trying to figure out this sort of faith thing. So my parents and my siblings, constant arguments about the drug use, lying, grounding, sneaking around, police involvement, and church really was my sort of safe haven from all of this. And I would pray, and I would pray, and I would pray, and I'd say, God, you can fix this. You can fix these relationships in my family. You can make all of this conflict go away. And yet things would continue. Years later on, one would be facing jail time, another on a cycle of binges, and still another drinking their days away. We're not always aware when our expectations about God have been crushed. We don't always give sort of conscious awareness to the disappointment that we feel when, it, when we pray and we pray, and it just seems like God does nothing. What happens when our expectations collide with reality? What happens when our expectations are challenged or disappointed or even For me, I can see that there was a part of my heart, a part of my life that just was so disappointed in what God didn't do and what God didn't do quickly. And over time, that disappointment became a sort of numbness and a sort of ambivalence to God. And I can't pinpoint the day that I stopped praying that my siblings would be free from addiction and my prayers just got a lot more realistic. God, just let us stay alive. And over the 15 years from that point, so adulthood, that was how it went. I thought that God would do something, but God didn't. So that's that, I guess. And that was how I felt. But to Jesus' death, his followers could not just say, that's that. Jesus had said, three days. And what if that was true? In Luke's account, the women go to the tomb at early dawn. They find the stone rolled away, but no body. And they encounter these two angels in dazzling clothes, and they say this, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. So the women rush to the disciples and tell them the news. And Luke 24, 11 says, But these words seemed to them, the disciples, as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Now shortly thereafter, Jesus then shows himself to two more disciples who are on their way to another city, Emmaus. And when they return to the disciples, they hear the news Jesus has also appeared to Peter not only did Peter see the empty tomb But Jesus had appeared to him and the Apostle Paul corroborates this in 1st Corinthians 15 When he writes the summation of the gospel that he's proclaiming and he says this Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then we get the text that we read here today, this morning. Jesus shows himself to the disciples. They're fishing. They see Jesus on the shore. Peter is so overcome that he jumps in the water and swims to him on the shore. The disciples have breakfast with Jesus. And you see, this Jesus is not a ghost. They can eat breakfast together. They can touch him. He is truly risen. And for each time that Peter had denied Jesus outside when he was arrested, Jesus asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter is able to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And as Peter encounters the risen and resurrected Lord, so also is his faith and his future Resurrected along with him. Resurrection? Check. You see, the Romans crucified tens of thousands of people before the time of Christ. But as far as I know, uh, we don't know the name of a single one who was crucified, which is exactly what the Romans had in mind. You see, crucifixion was a particularly cruel, sadistic, dehumanizing way to die. Uh, It was as public as the Romans could make it, where they had the crucifixions along a public road where people could walk by and revile these victims. And the message was clear. This object, pinned up before you, is not human. They are not one of you. They're not fit to die like a human being. They are not part of the human community. They are only fit to be discarded like trash and obliterated from human memory. But there is one name, to my knowledge, that we do know of one who was crucified, one name that could not be obliterated from human memory, and that is Jesus of Nazareth, the name that we would never have known had he not been raised from the dead. Peter and the first disciples had their expectations crushed and crucified on a cross, but the reality of a risen Lord was better than they could have dreamed. They expected the Messiah to overthrow the Roman Empire, but God's Messiah was bent on overthrowing the powers of sin and death. They expected the Messiah to end the suffering of one nation, but God's Messiah was intent on ending the suffering of all humanity, taking that suffering into himself. They had hoped that Jesus would be the one to redeem Israel, but God was intent on all of creation. Now, the Gospels report Jesus' appearances to his followers, to the women, to Peter, to the disciples. And you see, Christ's resurrection was not just this bringing back of their old expectations. It was not just a return to plan A. Those were dead. They were gone. Christ's resurrection brought about a transformation to their preconceived ideas about God. Because Christ has been raised, our crushed hopes, our faith, It's never just a, that's that. I guess that's how it is. God is just in the business of bringing life out of death. It's just part of who God is. God's in the business of taking our small visions of who God is and bringing about what only God can do, transforming them in the light of glory. In the resurrection of Christ is the promise that we too, our very lives, our hearts, All of this in our weary world, all the things that scrape us and hurt, all of this can be made new. And I know that there are places of crushed hope in you. I don't need to know what what it is. I just know that we're all human in this room, so I know that we all have them. And whatever they may be, you have experienced pain. You may be sitting here today quite simply in that pain. Or you might be past that feeling rather numb and ambivalent about what God could possibly do. But Christ has been raised from the dead. The crucified one is a risen Lord. And so you too, in your life, in your faith, in this very world, can be transformed and know new life. I witnessed this transformation one day, sitting on a beige couch in my one-bedroom apartment in New Jersey. I was on the phone with my mom, and we chatted about this, that, whatever. I was giving her an update on school, hearing about how things were with my family. And the conversation rolled around inevitably to this sort of pause. And this is the pause where I am supposed to ask how my siblings are doing. I'll confess, I didn't always ask. Sometimes things are just so painful that you can't always ask, and I truly did not always want to. But that day I did. I asked my mom, you know, how are they doing? What's going on? Things had been so wrong and so broken for so long. But this time, when I asked her, 15 years down the road, she shared with me that each of my siblings, through various methods and means, were not using substances. They were working. They were starting to make amends. And I sat on my couch after that phone call ended in silence for what seemed like an eternity. They might not have called this a work of God. None of my siblings would would say that they're Christians. They wouldn't account for any of this that way. But I know an empty tomb when I see one, and I know what it means. And I know a risen Lord when I see him on the beach, and I know what it means. Christ is risen. Let's pray. God, if we're honest, there are portions of our hearts, of our lives, of this world that just seem so irrevocably broken, where our expectations have been crushed long ago. And so, God, today we pray for your resurrection power, that we might witness your work anew in our midst. God, where there are places of crushed faith in our hearts, would you resurrect us like Peter and the disciples? When we think about the futures that we could have had, would you transform our present into your future that we might join with you in the work that you're doing in the world? God, would you heal us? Bring us face to face with our resurrected and crucified Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.